Good evening, everyone. It's great to see so many of you here gathered for our Easter celebration special. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Philip Gennardu. I hope that you've enjoyed the service so far. I wonder if right now you could just give hearts, love, thumbs to the band, to Matt Price, to the readers, to all the musicians, the singers, all the tech people that have put this together. And uh, once again, I'm coming here live from my loft. So I have my two daughters with me. Someone said in the comments that they are daughter slave labor, and I would like to refute that strongly, uh, but they are here. So I wonder if we could just give some massive props to these guys. Now I'm going to be speaking for the next 20 minutes, just giving the message of the meaning of Easter, because Easter is all about Jesus. And it may be that some of you are here and you have maybe not been used to church. Maybe you're watching because a friend has put pressure on you or cajoled you or, or guilt tripped you into doing this, but you're here and you just need to know that the message of Easter is all about Jesus. And we're going to look at Jesus and why Jesus is the most wonderful, powerful, perfect individual that any of us can know, that Jesus can literally change your life. He changed Jack's life. He's changed my life. He can change your life. Before we go any further, I wonder if you can help me with a, a little poll. And uh, we're asking the question, how are you doing in lockdown? So if we publish that poll and just take a couple of moments, if you're watching this on YouTube, then you can maybe write a comment. But here are the options. Either you're doing surprisingly well, or you're just about coping, or some of you, you're really struggling. Lockdown can be an absolutely difficult, challenging thing. Most of us, in fact, pretty much all of us, We've never experienced anything like this. We've never experienced an Easter like this. We've never experienced these kinds of conditions in our lives before. This is something incredibly unusual, something which we're all struggling to get to grips with. The world as we know it has just ceased to exist. And now we're living in this brand new reality. And just looking at those poll figures, if we close the poll, it looks like uh, the majority of you, 55%, are actually doing surprisingly well, uh, many of you are just about managing and a few of you are really struggling. Some of you, you're doing well because you've basically been training your whole life for this. You are the absolute introvert and uh, you don't even barely notice the difference between staying indoors on your own all day, just doing your own stuff and puttering around about your own business. For others of us, it's, it's, we're coping. But I wonder how many of you have been having those weird dreams. Any of you had those weird coronavirus lockdown dreams where it seems like our brains are going in overtime. Our subconscious is just working and all kinds of things are coming up. And part of the way that my family and I have been coping with this is that we, we've actually been watching uh, post-apocalyptic films. Now, I realize that this is a little bit dangerous ground that I'm on, because on the one hand, we've got this horrific, terrifying, tragic situation that the world has been plunged into. But on the other hand, we have to live in the reality day to day, and we're finding all different ways to cope. So we've been watching films, we've been watching the kind of the apocalypse, uh, just somehow to get um, a little bit of relief and context. For this, and I've noticed something. Uh, I noticed when we watched 28 Days Later, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, the ultimate lockdown film, is that these films are great. They're great at action, they're great at story, they're great at plot, but what they're not good at is actually the reality of what we're feeling. Because what we're experiencing right now, it, it, it has all these little details. 
It has these unexpected little things that happen, small things that people just wouldn't be able to anticipate. Something that no Hollywood screenwriter could dream up in their imagination, like the fact that we're all doing pub quizzes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have done more pub quizzes on Zoom in the last couple of weeks than I've done pub quizzes pretty much in the last 10 years. And, and it's just the odd thing that happens with that. You've got the guy on Zoom who just really doesn't get it. And he's got his computer or his phone in front of a huge window. He looks like the shining. You can't see anything. And then you've got the other guy who's really a Zoom professional. They've got the background and everything. In fact, they've managed to create a background that makes it look that, like their house is way better than it really is. They've just gone to town with that. But it's the little details. It's the things that you couldn't anticipate, the things that you wouldn't have expected to happen. Things like the, uh, the clap, the ovation, the applause that happens for the NHS. The fact that every week at a certain time we go out onto the streets, we come outside our doors, everyone starts clapping. And it's just these odd little things, little details that make you understand that this is not a film, this is not rea uh, unreality, this is not fiction, this is the real world. My neighbours, uh, my neighbours are actually watching now, they're both doctors and uh, they live next door to me. And it's a little bit ironic because we're all coming outside, clapping our hands. The reality is though, that they're working these incredible shifts. Uh, they're trying to sleep and we're all outside their houses, banging pots and pans to, uh, to kind of rouse them and, and just give them some love. And all these little things, these little details are the things that we're going to remember. When you get old and when you're looking back on this time, you're going to be telling the stories and you'll tell the stories with those little details. And, and we'll swap our little experiences of coronavirus in 2020 and we'll tell the stories. And it will be those little details that captivate people, that sell it, that give it the ring of authenticity and truth. Now, we've had three readings tonight, and they've all come from Luke's Gospel. And Luke is uh, just known as this incredible historian. He goes around and he tries to catalogue the eyewitness accounts to find out what people who were there at the time, what they have to say. And again, you get these little details. It's something that has the ring of truth because he puts in things that you just, you just couldn't make up, you wouldn't think to make up. And so in this um, Bible reading that Chloe's just read for us, uh, it talks about Jesus and he's risen on the third day. And if you were just making this up, then you'd have Jesus come in and it would be all glorious and the disciples would fall on their knees and they would worship and it would be triumphant and it would be reverent. But actually the reality is that Luke records this small detail. He says this, he says, the disciples were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. And it's just this little detail. More than that, it's an embarrassing detail. Because it says that these disciples, they were full of doubt. They were not expecting this. These were Orthodox Jews. All of their lives and, and all of their experience, their whole culture revolved around a certain way of looking at the world. And that way included people. When they die, they don't come back. That's it. They're gone. The Jews, they, they had a, a concept of resurrection. But what it really meant was that at the end of all time, God, the God of the universe would resurrect all humanity, all mankind at the same time to stand in front of the judgment. He didn't get a kind of little micro resurrection of just one person. If you're dead, you stay dead. And suddenly when Jesus appears to them, they are freaked 
out. They think that he is a ghost. They don't know what to do. They are absolutely perplexed. It's this little detail. But even a better one is, is the fact that Jesus speaks to them. And he says this. He says, um, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. In other words, Jesus says, look, I'm real. I'm physical. I'm here. You're not hallucinating. I'm not here to terrorize you. What have you got to eat? And the disciples are all looking around. And one of them says, well, we've got some fish. And Jesus takes it and he eats fish. And it's just this fantastic, wonderful, small little detail, broiled fish. And one of the other disciples is going, what are you thinking? You gave, you gave the risen Lord of the universe broiled fish, you muppet. And yet it's those little things, the unexpected things, that give us an insight into what this thing is all about. And Jesus goes even further. And actually what Jesus says is, is kind of comic as well. Because Jesus looks at them and he says this. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And it's that kind of thing where he says, look, I want you to look at my hands. I want you to look at my feet. It's me. It's I. It's I myself. Which is, again, it's just one of those strange things. Why do we do that? Why, when someone doesn't know who you are, why do you say, it's me? Or why do you go and you phone your friend and you ring them up and you say, hey, it's me? Because either they know it's you because they recognize you or they have no clue. A little while ago, um, in fact, a few years ago, uh, Isabel, who's here in the control room with me, and uh, if anything happens with this stream, it's her fault. Blame her at her. But she was, she was about 10 years old at the time. And uh, I was away uh, from home, and I just wanted to ring in and check in with the family. And so I, I got my phone, I rang in. Isabel picks up the phone. She answers, it was the home phone. And uh, I start speaking to her. I I'm a loving father, I'm just reaching out to her. But the thing is, she seems kind of reserved. She seems strangely stiff and formal. And finally, I, I just tire of this, this conversation because I feel like it's not getting anywhere. I feel like she's withholding from me. And so I said, um, okay, look, just put your mother on the phone. And at this point, she says, and who shall I say is calling? And I'm like, she has no idea that it's me. And so I say the thing that Jesus says to his disciples. I say, it's me, it's me, it's daddy. And then I kid you not, this is absolutely true. She says, ah, oh, and whose daddy are you? <laughs> Which I guess it's, it's a logical question. Daddy's not an objective reality. But something in my heart just, uh, I laughed and my heart just swelled up and I said, it's your daddy, the one who loves you, the one who's always been there for you, the one who's held you since you were a child, the one who holds you in his heart. I just forget it. Put your mother on. And we went on with our conversation. But Jesus, he says to his disciples, it's me, it's me. And then he does this really, really unusual thing. He says, do you want to know how you can recognize that it is me? He says this, he says, look at my hands and feet. And then he showed them his hands and feet. Now, if you're not used to church, if you're not used to faith, you're not like a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you might rightly think that this is a really, really odd thing to say. I mean, who identifies themselves by their hands and their feet? 
I mean, my wife, I love her more than anyone else in the world. I'm not sure I could pick out her hands and her feet if that was all I had to go on. You'd think that Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, he, he would say, well, look, it's me. You can tell. And we all have our image of Jesus. He's got these piercing blue eyes, freshly shampooed, long hair, kind of Russell Brand beard and uh, the whole nighty, the whole outfit. And he could have said, look, look, it's me. Look at my glossy hair. Look at my eyes. Look at my friendly smile. But he said, no, no, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can touch me. You can look. You can see. Why is it significant? It's significant because of this. When Jesus eats broiled fish, what is happening is he's saying that I have risen from the dead. And the resurrection that I have experienced is in your future. And your future is physical, not simply spiritual. That Jesus doesn't float through the air, although he has seemingly some kind of new abilities, like his, his body is working on multiple dimensions all at the same time. And yet it is extremely physical. Some people, you think that to be a Christian is to reject the, the body, the world, the physical world that we live in, the things that we enjoy, Zoom, pub quizzes. And yet Jesus says, no, no, this is my world. This is my earth. It's ravaged by sin. It's ravaged by death. It's ravaged by hurt. And yet I will bring it to newness. I will renew it. And you will have a new life and you'll have a new body, a new physicality, and there'll be broiled fish in your future. And Jesus is transformed. So at the same time, he's fully physical and yet fully spiritual. He's able to interact with God's zone, God's dimension, the, the, the arena of heaven. He's in a spiritual plane that we only very uh, hazily perceive. And yet he's still on planet Earth. He's still physical. He's still experiencing all the good things of life. He's been transformed. And yet one thing remains, my hands and my feet, my hands, my feet. And why Jesus shows them and why this suddenly changes everything for the disciples to the point where they will give up their lives. They will change their minds. They will turn 180 degrees from everything that they know. They will be hounded and harassed. They will be hunted down like dogs. They will be imprisoned. They will be sent to the Colosseum to fight wild beasts. They will be persecuted. They will be pierced. It all is made possible when they see his hands and his feet. Because what he has in his hands and feet is the imprint of the nails. Jesus now has as his defining characteristic, scars. Again, if you are not a, a Christian person or a church person or faith is kind of new to you, you just need to know that whatever image you have of Jesus, the defining characteristic of Jesus Christ is his wounds. His wounds for you. And although God could have snapped his fingers and made them go away and recreated this body perfect, ideal, whole, he decided to keep the wounds. Crucifixion, it was a horrible, horrendous, terrifying thing. In fact, the Romans themselves, they sickened uh, of crucifixion and they eventually outlawed it. It was something that was supposed to make an example of the worst kind of people. It would strike terror into people. 
And when you put on this cross, what they would do is they'd put a nail through their hands. And yet the word that Luke uses in his gospel, it, it can mean not just hands, but it can mean the whole forearm. And uh, experts nowadays believe from what we know of crucifixion is that the nail didn't go through the fleshy palm of the hand as bad as that would be. But no, it goes through the wrist between the radius and the ulna. Because otherwise you simply pull down under your own body weight. Your hand cannot hold that kind of pressure. And so they put the nail through your wrist between your two bones and you are pierced to this wood with these nails. Feet linked together, one nail goes through the two of them. It's no wonder that our English word excruciating derives its meaning and origin from crucifixion because crucifixion is excruciating. And you don't die through blood loss. You don't die through shock. You die through suffocation. Because as you fall, uh, your body weight pulls you down and now you can no longer breathe freely. And so what you have to do is you have to just do the unimaginable. You push up on the nails that bind your feet to the cross. You take a gulp and you gasp. It's so uniquely terrifying. And Jesus knows what it's like to be in excruciating agony, to be fighting for every single breath. And if they want you to die quickly, they just break your legs. You can no longer push yourself up and you expire, you suffocate. For Jesus, it wasn't something that they needed to do because uh, he died before that was necessary in incredible agony. And yet the Bible says that he does this for us. And so when he speaks to his disciples, he says, look, it's me. I'm the one. I've always been there. I've always cared for you. The disciples, they were looking for a savior, a Messiah who would come and save them from Roman occupation, restore their national pride. Jesus says, I've got bigger fish to fry than that. I'm going to save you from sin. I'm going to save you from spiritual emptiness. I'm going to save you from the, the yawning hole within you that you try and stuff full with enjoyment and pleasure and, and sex and food and whatever you can get and all these things, none of which are bad in themselves. And yet they fail to fundamentally satisfy the human heart. And Jesus says, look, it's sin and that sin ultimately causes death. And I've come to wage war on sin and death. I've come to take it all in on myself, like someone who wants to fight Corona by receiving Corona. Someone who takes it in on themselves. And then instead of fighting it off with a great plucky attitude, they succumb to it and die. And yet on the third day, after the ultimate lockdown in the tomb, they come and they defeat all sickness, all disease, all sin, all death, defeated in Jesus Christ. And he says, it's me. Some of you, you've, you've had those funny dreams and it may be that God has been speaking to you through these dreams. It may be that you've experienced something of God reaching out to you, of God saying, it's me, it's me. I'm the one trying to get your attention. I'm the one coming close to you. I'm the one patiently waiting for you to turn. I will never force you. I will never coerce you. I will never dominate you. I won't make it so that you have no choice but to believe. 
He's already given us the most convincing evidence in the person of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. That's how Christianity started, by the way. It started because people were convinced. They were eyewitnesses. And people in the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands, and then the millions believed them because there was something compelling about their incredible, unusual story. But God says to you, it's me. It's daddy. It's your father. It's the one who loves you, who's always loved you, who's always been there for you, who's always known you. What I'd like us to do before we go for the last couple of songs in our Easter celebration is I'd like us to pray a prayer. I'd like us to pray a prayer, and this is for all of us, whether you are a believer, whether you're on the outside looking in, whether maybe you had a faith in the past and it's kind of gone off the boil, but something about these unusual situations that we find ourselves in makes you think, actually, I want to re-examine this thing. Maybe you identified with what Jack had to say, that there's a creeping realization that I think that God is trying to get through to me and that he is real. And like Jack, you can go, you get your answers, uh, you get questions, and you put your questions forward and you get answers to those questions, but you begin to reach out. And I'm not going to go too far today. I don't want to take advantage of this uh, vulnerable situation that so many of us are in, but I do want to invite you to pray a prayer. And it's a really, really simple prayer. It's a prayer that simply says to Jesus, if you're there, if you are real, then I'm open to you. It's a kind of prayer that an atheist can pray with total integrity. It's a kind of prayer that a person with doubts and questions and struggles and issues and uncertainty can pray and know that it is a good prayer. And if God is there, then he's well able to answer. And if he isn't, then you've lost nothing. But it's also a good prayer for us to pray if we are believers, to once again put ourselves into God's hands. Because this is the Easter story. God loves us so much that he came into this world. He lived a perfect life. Jesus shows us what it's like to be truly human, to be fully whole, to be gracious and compassionate and loving and joyful, to be fully alive, to be fully loving, to be fully good, to be totally in connection with his father. And he dies for us. But it doesn't end there. And so it becomes this act, a historical act that we base our faith in. Not just a way of life, not just a nice bunch of ideas, not just a philosophy or, or, or a teaching, but a historical fact about a historical person. So I'm going to invite you right now to pray the prayer with me. I've just got a, a, a little, very simple thing. And again, if you're doing this, watching this, in uh, living rooms and bedrooms and with your family, with your flatmates, uh, out in the garden, then why not just pray this prayer along with me? The words will come up on the screen. We'll go through it a little bit at a time. And then you can just pray that prayer for yourself. And then afterwards, we'll hand over to Max and the band to take us through our final songs. So this is the prayer, pray with me. Pray along. Dear Jesus, if it's true that you lived for me, died for me, and rose again for me, then I want to know more. You know my fears, my struggles, and my doubt. Show me the evidence of your love for me. I'm willing to open myself up to your love. Show me the way. Make yourself real to me. I need you in my life. 
I ask this prayer in simple faith. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for bearing with us. I hope that it has given you uh, something to think about, something to encourage you, something to inspire you. For those of you that are interested in exploring faith a little bit further, then we would love to pray with you. We'd love to be able to just touch base with you. You can direct message us and one of the team will get back to you. Or maybe you've got a Christian friend. You can just start talking to them and, and let's see what kind of conversations come out of this. But if you'd like, you can check out our website. If you go to our website and look at woodlandsmetro.church slash faith, we put together a special page where you can see some talks about faith, some stuff that gives the evidence. And there is plenty, plenty of evidence for the Christian faith. And figure that stuff out for yourself. But right now, let's worship together. And I want to really encourage you to go for this. I want to really encourage you, wherever you are, to sing along, not just to passively watch. We've had an amazing uh, band come together. Andrew playing the violins come from, from Taiwan. He's in there right now. Hi, Andrew, and thanks for everything that you're doing. The fact that we can come together like this shows us that God, even in the harshest, most distressing circumstances, God has not finished with us and God has not finished with you. So let's worship together. God bless.